Penny's Politics. I'm your host, Penny Sikora. A great show for you guys today. We're having a little technical difficulty, so there was a slight delay uh, in the start to, the, to tonight's show. But we have a great, I, ha- I have a great show uh, for you guys today. A ton to talk about, um, as always, as always. So I'm just going to jump, I'm going to jump right in uh, and, and get things to going. It's been a, a crazy week around here in Orlando. It's been crazy. Uh Locally here, obviously, we're still dealing with, in some communities, the aftermath of Irma. Now, for the most part, uh, the city is, is running smoothly. But there are a few neighborhoods here that are still underwater. Um, there are a few neighborhoods here that still don't have any electricity. And we still have a lot of families trying to recover. is still down here. And what, the, the, what they decided to do was they, they're doing food assistance here in Florida. They have a few sites with the, the disaster relief SNAP assistance. Um, Camping World Stadium, formerly known as the Citrus Bowl downtown uh, here in Orlando. There's another site and a couple other surrounding counties. And for the last few days, it, 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 it's been crazy. And... I'm not, I'm not mad at the assistance. I'm not mad that people are getting the help that they need. I, I'm not. There are a ton of people. There, there are literally like 10,000 people per day getting help. And the lines have been ridiculous. And it's, for, it's not for traditional SNAP recipients. It's for those that, 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 that do not normally receive SNAP benefits. Because what, what, the, what the state did, and I thought it was a good idea, the state decided that if you receive SNAP benefits, a couple of things, a couple of benefits. Number one, they paid out benefits early so that people can prepare 
for the storm. They can get necessary food and supplies for the storm. Number two, the state allowed SNAP recipients to use their, 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 their benefits for hot food. Traditionally, you can only go into the store and buy you know, food from the grocery store to prepare. You can't go and buy hot food at, at say, for instance, a Subway or, uh, you know, or a, a Wawa. <laughs> Wawa is a local uh, chain here that is like gas station slash restaurant because they serve like sandwiches and hot sandwiches and food and drinks and breakfast. It's actually pretty doggone delicious. And they're building one really close to my house. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and their name Wawa, because I believe they started in Wawa, Washington, I think, Oregon. The name of the, the it's named the chain is named after the city they started in. But in any event, getting off subject, I do that. I do that. So the the the, the SNAP beneficiaries, they're, they're or rather the people, the SNAP beneficiaries are allowed to get hot food, and and so that was a good idea. They they they've they've extended it through the end of the month because people still don't have electricity. There are still people without electricity, and that's one of the reasons that the state decided, hey, we're going to let them use their benefits for hot food. And I don't know if this is something new. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't receive SNAP benefits, um, so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not abreast of a lot of the rules, and, but I do think that was a good idea. So what the, the government decided to do was they're gonna, they, they, they issued the disaster relief benefits because when people lost power – and it took a while to get power back on. They lost food. They lost food. And so the, 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 you know, the, the government says, okay, we're going to come in. We're going to give you these benefits. For those of you that traditionally would not get benefits, and it's a process. But the stories that I've heard are crazy. All right? The first story was the lines, the long lines. A friend of mine works for... DCF, the Department of Children and Families, and they're the ones that are facilitating and coordinating this whole event, and they're the ones signing people up, registering them, getting them qualified, and issuing the immediate benefits. And a friend of mine, they start early in the morning, 6 in the morning, and they go late. But there were people in line as early as 1 o'clock in the morning for a line that didn't begin to move until 6 in the morning. For a couple hundred dollars in benefits, because it's all, that's all a couple hundred bucks. Some people receive two, three hundred dollars. Some people receive maybe six, eight hundred, six, eight hundred dollars, depending on your situation. I don't know what the qualifiers are, but that is a ridiculously long time to wait in line. So that's one story. The other story is that you know news reports are talking about fraud. Okay, food stamp fraud is nothing new. Nothing new. And I get it. There are some folks that want to penalize all beneficiaries to deal with the little fraud. And I say little fraud because it's not like there is so much food stamp fraud that it's hindering the program from being successful or, or you know and meeting its needs. And so my issue is that okay, deal with the fraud as best as you can. 
But the reason I don't like the news stories talking about is because those that are anti, that are anti food stamps, will use the one out of ten thousand users that decides to be fraudulent with the program, and use that as a excuse to cut the program. All the other government programs that we have. All the other government programs that we have that are riddled with fraud, that spend 10 times as much money, and we're talking about food stamps. We don't even talk about those other programs and the fraud. We don't talk about them like defense, but I'm not going to get on that tonight. I'm not going to get too far off too far off tonight. I'm not going to get too far off tonight. You know, I want to stay focused. Tonight. And I lost 10 minutes due to technical difficulties. I want to stay focused, laser sharp focus, and get to the, some of the stories that I want to talk about. But the, the food stamp fraud, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm not saying don't deal with it. But let's stop pretending it's brand new. The news, they, they spend more time talking about the, the fraud issue than they do the bigger issue, which was the disaster and the fact that families lost a lot. And I'm I, and I'm challenged again with 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 you know with 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 liberals because I I, I look at the way this whole prop this whole uh, program was put together and I'm just like oh my god how much did we spend in renting out the stadium hiring the extra help because not only did you did you need you need the stadium. You need to rent out the stadium. I'm sure the bathroom facilities had to be used. There were extra bath restroom facilities uh, provided because they had to have porta potties put up at these different locations because you had all of these people waiting in this long line. Not only that, you needed police. You had to have security and you had to have traffic control because every location, Orlando already has horrible traffic. My God, add have ten thousand to twenty thousand people, you know, come to one singular location. And streets that are already at capacity during the day. God, rush hour today was horrible. Oh, my God. It was terrible in those areas. So you needed traffic control. You needed extra employees. How much did it cost to implement this, all of this, for these last few days to give out these benefits? And so I was very conservative, uh, you know, thinking, what did this cost? There's got to be a better way to get people to prepare for disasters. To, to, there's got to be a better way to get the masses to prepare. And I have no problem. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and fuss it and say money you know, is an issue, and I, I, let's not do that. And I'm not going to say that because I think we should do it. People need help. Let's give people help. We're the w- richest country in the, on the planet. We can, we can afford to help our citizens. We can. But I just want us to do things more efficiently. That's what I want. Not necessarily cheaper. But if we can do it cheaper, more efficiently, at, while providing the same level and quality of service, let's do it. Because I, 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 I listen, I, I've sat in budget hearings. I, I, I've, I've done that. I've watched budget cuts and the, the promises of allowing private – the private sector can do it better. No, the private sector – can. yeah, if it costs $10 million to do, 
and let's say $7 million was actually providing the service because that's what you're paying the employees to provide the service, and $3 million is overhead. The private vendor will say, well, I can do it for $8.5 million. Save you a million and a half, right? And we're going to do it much more efficiently. You know where that million and a half in savings comes from? The employees. It still takes them $3 million to, to, to for administration because they're going to pocket it, and the employees will take the hit. That's how private industry saves us money. And because they're paying the employees less, turnover becomes higher, and the quality of service becomes worse. But the taxpayers not affected by the direct services themselves could care less. You think taxpayers care about public transportation as a service subpar? You think taxpayers that are retired or don't have any kids care about the quality of, of schools? I'm going to tell you they don't. Some do. But the majority don't because they don't – at the end of the day, they just want more money in their pockets. To hell with the community at large. To hell with the, 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 the country at large. They, they just want more money in their pockets, and it's pennies. It really is. The, the biggest beneficiaries to tax cuts are the wealthiest, the biggest businesses. But you know, I, I don't – I don't want to get again. I'm, I'm kind of bunny trailing because I want to stick to the, the to the subject at hand, which was this snap, the 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 snap disaster relief money that was handed out. It's been crazy. We're still dealing with the aftermath of people are still people are still uh, without power. There's communities that are still underwater. And so we got a little bit of ways to go before we're out of the water. But what do we do moving forward? How do we prepare ourselves for this moving forward? How do we prep ourselves? And by the way, the phone lines are open, 347-934-0185. And, of course, there's a live blog in the group Penny's Politics on Facebook. Facebook, use the search query Penny's Politics. Or you can email me, penny at iunewstalk.com, or you can, you can uh, tweet me at Penny Sikora. But how do we prepare ourselves for this? My conservative friends keep saying, well, if you just get government out of the way, just get government out of the way. Well, there's no government requirement to have insurance, flood insurance. And many people are flooded, and many people get, get flood damage, and who's the first person that they go? They scream to, conservatives and, and liberals alike. They go to government. Hey, FEMA, come here. Come here, FEMA. I need you. Well, why don't you have flood insurance? But if government were to say you gotta, if you live in a floodplain, you gotta have flood insurance, people are gonna scoff at that. I don't want the government forcing me to do this. We talk about regulation, all right? Puerto Rico, most of the island is in dire straits, and many of them, their American citizens, are coming here to Florida. They're moving. They gotta move. Less than twenty percent of the island has power. Well, one, it's an island, and they don't have as many, uh, you know. Resources there to, to deal with this. But one of the reasons the island was flattened by the storm is regulation. Their houses and buildings just aren't built like we build them here in Florida. Why? Because for, and Florida changed the laws because they said, listen, we're tired of every time a natural disaster comes, we're spending billions of dollars to rebuild. It is expensive. It is expensive. 
And so they said, well, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And the prevention is let's, we're, let's, force, let's force people to build houses that can withstand Category 3 or 4 winds. So that when the winds blow, our houses don't blow down because it's expensive. And examples like that is why when we have these bland arguments about regulation with some of my conservative friends, I say, listen, all regulation is not bad, but and, 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 and before – and we never get to specific, always a bland, broad conversation, a broad brush. These are talking points that Republicans use to win elections. They don't get specific and tell you which regulations. They just say regulations. Because I'm, I'm certainly not going to make the argument that there aren't too many regulations. Certainly there are. I, I, I was arguing with someone about the, 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 the red light cameras. See, my whole thing is if the regulation helps, it improves the quality of life. It saves us money, makes us a more efficient society, then fine. If it does not, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction like red, red light cameras, then no, it's a bad idea. And I'm going to talk about red light cameras a little bit uh, later in the show. But I want to give you this little cheat sheet. Um, it's about welfare uh, recipients. And the, there's – oh, it's actually a, it's actually a pretty uh, big – actually, you know what? Cause I gotta, I'm going to have to go to break in just a, a little bit. So I'm going to start this article. To, it's a welfare cheat, cheat sheet. Um, and it says, who's on welfare? Nine shocking facts about public assistance. This is an article written late last year. Uh, welfare programs are controversial. Some people believe that government is responsible for providing a strong social safety to the most vulnerable. Others see the welfare system see it as a system that's rife with abuse and which discourages people from making responsible decisions. Whatever your, dis- take, whatever your take on welfare, there's no dis- denying that these programs help the poor to help the poor cost a lot of money. A 2015 study by the University of California, Berkeley, found that states and federal governments spent $152.8 billion, with a B, dollars on food stamps, health insurance, and cash assistance programs, more than half of it going to working families who ha- were having trouble make- making ends meet. I want to pause there. More than half of that went to working families, meaning that they were, they, they're working and still qualify for these benefits. So the argument that they're lazy doesn't fly. And so and, and and it's funny because the argument that many on the left make is that hey listen, employers should pay this so that we're not picking up the tab. Employees should provide, we should have health insurance, health care. Actually they're saying government should should supply that. But they're saying employees should play a decent wage so that their employees don't qualify for food stamps because someone's going to pay. That McDonald's worker that's a, that's a parent, that's a grown person working full-time at McDonald's because here in Florida, students couldn't fill all the jobs because many of these places were run 24-7. Or the low-wage employer runs 24-7. You can't have kids working 24-7 and going to school. It just not, doesn't work. So grown all these low wage jobs, grown people they need to be filled. Grown people need to work, they work. So we pay them crappy wages, and then we still give them 
we still give them health care because they qualify. They don't make enough, and their employer does, or their employer doesn't offer affordable health care and food stamps because they don't make enough to pay rent, care of themselves, and buy food. And so we provide them with food stamps. And the argument on the left is that, well, if the employers would simply do more and pay more, they would be able to afford these things. And people say, well, you got you to gotta better yourself. Well, okay, I got to go to school, which means I got to take out loans to do that. So I'm going to straddle myself with debt. But in the interim, what do I do? And that's the argument. And I get the conservative argument about waste. I get that. But I'm not going to take them seriously until they build, deal with the bigger waste issues. But the article continues. The Berkeley report found that workers in many occupations were dependent on public assistance to supplement their income, including child care, home care, and fast food workers, as well as part-time college faculty. We know that many people receiving welfare have jobs, but what other trends are are there among people who get public assistance? To get a better idea of who is actually receiving public assistance in the United States, the the U.S. Census Bureau recently took a closer look at the participation in six major welfare programs from 2009 to 2010. And those categories are Medicaid, SNAP or food stamps, housing assistance, Social Security, Supplemental Security Income, SSI, uh, temporary assistance to needy families, which is the, the public cash benefits, and then general assistance. And But I got I to gotta take a break because we're, we're at the end of the first quarter. Uh, 347-934-0185 is the number if you want to call in and join in this conversation. The live blog is up in Penny's Politics on Facebook. Use the search query. Type in Penny's Politics. Tweet me at Penny Secor or email me, Penny at IUNewsTalk.com. The second quarter of Penny's Politics when we return. Show your support for the Independent Underground Radio Network, which has been podcasting strong since 2010 with over 4.5 million downloads and over 700 episodes with our affiliate network of shows, including Constitutionally Speaking, with host Adam Smith, Third Wave Feminism, with host Jenny and Diane, Penny's Politics, with host Penny Sequoia, and our flagship show, Independent Underground Radio Live, with host Monica R.W. So how can you show that support? By going to to get the Independent Underground Radio Network app for just $2.99 at Google Play or the Apple Store. Just go and put in the search for Independent Underground Radio Network on Google Play or at the Apple Store and download a version of our app in order to have all of our affiliate network of shows right on your phone, your tablet, computer, or whenever you want to listen to them by streaming live of the Independent Underground Radio Network. Remember, just go to Google Play or the Apple Store. Search for Independent Underground Radio Network and download a version of our app on your phone for just $2.99 today and show your support for the bat it independent left political anywhere in the world at the Independent Underground Radio Network.
Advanced Auto Parts is also your source for quality auto parts, advice, and accessories. So go ahead and get your 20% off today of your first order at advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU Radio Network. And make sure you put in the code AAT20CAST for your 20% savings. Three four seven nine three four zero one eight five is the number. Three four seven nine three four zero one eight five is the number. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Penny's Politics. Use the search query type in Penny's Politics. Join the live blog. You can also tweet me at Penny Sakura. Uh, as we start the second quarter of Penny's Politics, uh, we're talking about welfare. Re- Benefits and there's six facts that that you know that a lot of people don't know about uh, those that receive the dreaded welfare, the the dole, uh, the lazy man's bailouts. That's what many conservatives would call it, um, but it's just not the case because the statistics say that most people that receive uh, some type of benefits are working, actually working. So here's the first statistic. Uh, there's not here's nine facts. Well, well, let me continue the article. Uh, the report doesn't discuss other kinds of support that people might receive, such as earned income, tax credit, free school lunches, the WIC program, Head Start, energy assistance programs, and Pell Grants. While it doesn't capture the full spectrum of welfare in the U.S., the results still provide a clear picture of who is receiving public assistance. Much of what is included in the report isn't exactly surprising. While many recipients have jobs, I'm going to say that again. While many recipients have jobs, those who are unemployed and who don't have much education tend to be more likely to rely on benefits for a longer period of time. For example, for example, nonetheless, some of the data may surprise you. Here are nine facts about who receives welfare benefits in the U.S. Number one, more than 20% of the U.S. population, population receives public assistance. In 2012, roughly one-fifth of the U.S. population, or 52.2 million people, receive some kind of mean-tested public assistance every month. About 15% of the population were receiving Medicaid, and 13% were on food stamps. Just 1% were getting cash benefits through uh, temporary assistance for needy families or general assistance. Contrary to popular belief, which and in, in folks think that you can sit up and collect a check, and that many people, most people are sitting up collecting a check, it's only 1%. One percent. In addition, most people 
probably aren't receiving most of their income from government programs. Interesting. A separate report from the Department of Health and Human Services found that in 2011, just 5.2% of the total U.S. population was, was receiving more than half of their total income in cash benefits, food stamps, or SSI. Hmm. Interesting. So if they're if they if if less than half is coming from these benefits, where is it coming from? Hmm. Work people. It's coming from work because they're working. Number two, participation in welfare programs grew from 2009 to 2012. In 2009, 18.6% of the population was participating in at least one means-tested benefit program. That number was up to 21% in 2012. But the increase in welfare participation seems to be leveling off. There was no statistically significant rise in participation from 2011 to 2012. Number three, and I want you guys to hear this one. Number three, uh, for this big giveaway that we're giving people this big old giveaway. Listen to this, number three. The average monthly benefit was about $400. I'm going to repeat that. The average monthly benefit was about $400. People received an average of $404 a month in food stamps, SSI benefits, uh, TNAF, which is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families or the Cash Assistance, or General Assistance. Those who qualify for SSI, which primarily supports people who are disabled and can't work, received the most on average $698 per month. I'm going to say that again. Those who qualify for SSI, which means you are who are who are whose primary support people who are disabled and cannot work, the benefit, the average benefit is $698 a month. As of 2015, about 8.3 million Americans were receiving SSI. Number four, children benefit the most from public assistance programs. Not the lazy adult that just doesn't want to work and wants to live on the dole and doesn't want to do anything with his life. Children benefit the most from public assistance programs. About 39% of children received welfare benefits during the average month in 2012. Roughly 17% of adults between 18 and 64 received benefits, and 12.6% of people over age 65 did as well. Those under 18 also received larger average monthly benefits than adults 18 to 24, $447 a month for those uh, uh, under 18 versus $393 a month. Number five, people receive benefits Many people receive benefits for a year or longer. 43% of people had been receiving benefits for 37 to 48 months. Roughly 30% had been on benefit. I'm sorry, roughly 30% had been on benefits for a year or less. Some programs had more long-term participants than others. Nearly half of people receiving housing benefits had been getting them for three years or longer. In contrast, cash assistance was a short-term form of help for most, which is 10% people receiving benefits for three years or more. Number six, families led by single parents were more likely to receive benefits. 58% of families led by an unmarried mother and 37% headed by an unmarried father received benefits for at least one month during 2012. About 20% of families headed by a married couple received benefits for at least one uh, during the same period. Number seven, Single mothers tend to receive less, benef- less in benefits per month. Households headed by an unmarried woman receive an average of $337 in monthly benefits compared to $447 for households headed by a single man and $420 a month for a married couple. Now, I'll be honest, I don't see why married couples would be receiving benefits. That's just me. 
Uh, figure I would think between the two of them it would be able to work it out, but that's just me. However, families led by single moms tended to receive benefits for a longer period of time. 58% receive benefits for three years or more compared to 35% of single dad households and 34% of married couple households. People, number eight, people who attended college are less likely to receive benefits. A little over 13% of people who had attended college for at least a year or more for at least a year received welfare benefits at any point in 2012. In contrast, 40%, 45% of people who did not graduate from high school received benefits during the year. People who didn't complete high school were also more likely to be long-term benefit recipients. Af- and number nine, African-Americans were more likely to receive public assistance than any of the other groups. In 2012, an average of 41% of African-Americans received means-tested benefits each month, about 18% for Asians or Pacific Islanders, and 13% of whites uh, received benefits each month. 36% of Hispanics of any race received uh, government assistance. Cool. A, a lot to uncover. And some of those things I knew weren't a surprise to me. But the, 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 biggest, the biggest thing that I want to talk about is the fact that the average benefit is less than $400 a month, and more than half of the people receiving benefits work. Those are the two things that anti-welfare folks, don't, they don't want to hear. They don't want to believe. And that we live in a country in which the majority of the new jobs are low-skill and low-wage. Now, if you want to make the argument that they don't have the skills so they don't get the wage, fine. Fine. But the majority of the new jobs being created by the creators, by the, 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 the job creators that we love so much and that we are so you know, indebted to, they're the ones creating these jobs. Why? Because the demand for the, for, the, for the jobs is there. The need for the jobs is there. And so there are a lot of low-wage, low-skill jobs, Walmarts, McDonald's. Some of these customer service jobs, a ton of call centers in Florida, kind of low wage. I think the average wage for is about between 12 and 13 bucks an hour, which is not a bad wage, but it's certainly you can't support a family on 12 or 13 bucks an hour. This is, that's just not going to happen. And I doubt that they have medical benefits. If they do, that cuts that 12 to $13 to probably about mm, 10 for what you're paying out of medical Paying out in premiums, medical uh, health insurance premiums. And so, w- which way do you want it? Do you want us to help these people to live so that they're not stealing and killing, stealing and killing to, to to survive? Or do we say employees, you got to pay more? Or or do we create a, a lower ceiling, a lower, I'm sorry, a, a higher floor so that people can support themselves? Because you can't have it both ways. There's a world of should, there's a world of is. And the argument can't simply be, well, it's going co- to cost jobs. No matter what you do, jobs are going to be lost. No matter what you do. Someone's going to take a hit somewhere. Education, we don't want to make college free. We don't want to create a, a we don't want to create a a, a, a society where we're well educated, creating the educational infrastructure to educate these folks for the future, which is what China is doing, which is why America will not be the richest 
the 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 the, the wealthiest country on the planet for long. China's going to pass us up. They are revving up majorly. The only reason that America is number one is because we got this huge head start in manufacturing during the war. All of our competition was not producing anything. They weren't making anything. And so America did something smart. They said, okay, all right, the rest of the country is torn all the hell. We need to create a a well-educated workforce that's ready to build everything. We need engineers. We need architects. We need everything. And so let's let's create this this government GI bill so that we can give all these troops returning home and education. Let's put all these grant programs out there so, so so that college is affordable for people so that we can we can create this big workforce because we got a lot to do. And we did. In the 30s and the 40s, we did that. And I, I'll take you. I see you. I see you call. I'll, I'll get you. Take the call in just a second. We did that. And and what happened? The fifties and sixties, America was wealthy. We're buying. We're building up the suburbs. We're buying cars. Well, at least white America did, because most of Black America couldn't participate legally. But we did it. And, and I'm not going to get on that. I'm not going to hit that. Too deeply. And I'm not going to touch that one. Now, I'm not going to get into that. But we did that. We prepared ourselves and we built big things. We had we built NASA. We built all the automotive industry. We we built TVs and we made a ton of stuff. And then slowly and quietly, the rest of the world said, "Okay, we're going to prepare. We're going to rebuild." They built more efficient transportation infrastructure than we did, like in Europe. And, they, and, and, and in China, they said, okay, we're just going to build a bunch of schools and, and, and prepare ourselves. And now everyone's caught up. Everyone's caught up. And our politicians are lying to us, saying, oh, we can bring these job, these, those jobs back. They're not coming back. In China, they have factories the size of small towns. That can employ 20,000 people tomorrow. That need 500 engineers tomorrow. You know how hard it would be, how long it would take for America to, 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 first of all, bring that many employees in one spot plus that many skilled individuals. 100 engineers? Heck, if a company needed 50, it would take a long time to recruit that many. China's ready tomorrow. Because they have the they have the educational infrastructure to, that's training these folks, infrastructure that we don't want to invest in because you know it costs money. It costs money. We won't pay for that. That costs money. We want all of these benefits to being in America. We want to be first in everything, which we're not, but we don't want to pay for it. I got this beautiful Mercedes Benz in my driveway. And I love driving it, but I will never put no gas in it. How in the hell am I going to go anywhere? I can't have my cake and eat it too. And that's the biggest problem in America, or one of the biggest problems in America. And our politicians play on our emotions. They play on that. 
But I'm going to take this call, then I'm going to switch subjects. Where I'm going to take this call, I'm gonna, then I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Caller from the 832, you're on the air with uh, Penny on Penny's politics. Go ahead. How's it going, Penny? It's Gustavo. How you doing, man? It's going pretty good. It's crazy down here in Florida. Our governor's running for Senate, I think. Uh, we're still recovering from Irma. Traffic is terrible. And uh, other than that, things are okay, I guess. Oh, we got a serial killer in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Supposedly. All right. So what's up? Yeah, I mean we're making we're making strides we're making strides here in Houston. I mean it's getting better, but I mean it it's typical already where uh, they've already got I've already we've already seen that uh, this one this one family came out and said that for flood insurance. Now check this out. This one family was paying about five hundred dollars a year for their flood insurance. For them to rebuild their home and to get that same flood insurance, just for them to stay in the exact same place, twenty six hundred dollars now a year. Wow. Wow. It's crazy. That is crazy. And, and you know the funny part is going back to what you were saying because I was hearing what you were saying about I wanted to pay for things. It's the same thing here. You know they've been talking about since two thousand after we got hit with hurricane with tropical storm Allison about upgrading the infrastructure and primarily the developers making the developers that build in known flood zones here in the Houston area, forcing them to build drainage basins and the city won't do it. They've been crying for that since, since then the city will not do it. The reservoirs that were, that have caused it where some of the flooding happened, same thing here. Those reservoirs were built in the 1940s mm-hmm. and have not been, Upgraded since to to upgrade them to where they need to be, I think it would cost probably I think they said anywhere between ten and fifteen million dollars. They don't want to spend it. So so okay so, and and it's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because now I'm curious. So in because uh, I was re I, someone was someone else and I think no I think I was reading an article talking about Houston specifically how Houston could have prevented some of these flooding issues with simple infrastructure upgrades. So here, here in Orlando, here in Orlando, um, there was some, there is flooding. The flooding happens certainly, you know, but it doesn't. In my neighborhood specifically, there was no flooding. There are reservoirs all over the place here, all over the place here, and of course they fill up when it rains to prevent the flooding. And so you're saying that Houston has similar technology, but it's it was built in the 1940s, which means it was half done. And they didn't have the intensity of storms back then because, let's be honest, climate change is a real thing. And so the government doesn't have the will to upgrade this technology. Is that what you're telling me? That's absolutely what I'm telling you. And here's the other thing, too. In the 1990s, speaking again about infrastructure, when they proposed the Texas Triangle to link all four major cities, which was they were going to run – from San Antonio up I-35 into Austin and Dallas-Fort Worth, across I-10, San Antonio to Houston, and then Houston up I-45 to Dallas. When they proposed that in the 1990s, they shot it down. Now, why do I bring that up? Because when we had Hurricane Rita hit and we had the massive evacuation, there was way too many people. The state didn't have the contraflow lane set up. They didn't have anything set up. But the point being this, had the Texas Triangle been built, we would have had a, a, a mass transit system that could have evacuated a lot of people and kept them off the highways. And here we are now, fast forward again, 
when Hurricane Rita hit, same thing. Same thing happened here. Again, regardless that we didn't, the hurricane didn't hit us. With the level of flooding that would have happened, again, had we had a high-speed rail infrastructure put in place, even if we couldn't avoid the flooding, you could have gotten a lot of people out, and we couldn't. Now, if I'm gonna, if Florida, if we need a mass on the topic of transportation, if we need, if we need a mass evacuation of the, because we had one of the biggest here with 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 Irma, because Irma pretty much Irma hit everybody, because most of the state did not have power uh, uh, after Irma. But my, Miami, South Florida evacuating alone caused backups on I-75. Now, mind you, I-75. To, to give you an idea, most people coming from uh, South Florida, they, they don't hit I-75 until they get north of Ocala. I'm talking about a couple hundred miles north of Miami before they begin to hit I-75. And the backups were massive. And we have this, we have this, uh, we have the term, the Florida, the Florida Turnpike that'll take you from Miami uh, to I-75. And then you have what I-95, I think, is on the east coast, uh, on the east coast of the state. Uh, Make sure I get that right. Yeah, 95 runs up the east, the, the east uh, coast of the state, and then 75 runs up the, the west side of the state. And they were all backed up. And that's just evacuating South Florida. Just South Florida backed them up, including – and the turnpike. The turn, they, they turned off tolls, and the turnpikes were free. If we ever had to do another mass evacuation in which we had a, another Category 5 about to engulf the whole state because Irma was the largest recorded storm on, on record, we couldn't do it. Orlando, for the most part, didn't evacuate. We, not many people from Central Florida evacuated. Many of them stayed, stayed put. And, and, and the same thing with the West Coast. The majority of the evacuations happened. Many, a lot of the East Coast uh, smaller communities, but mostly South Florida evacuated. But if we ever had to have a mass evacuation, uh, uh, Gustavo, we would have problems. I'm just be honest. We'd have because ma- our mass transit is terrible, and even the road infrastructure here is terrible. It's horrible. It's terrible, and we're not ready, and people don't want to pay to upgrade it. But, but, but Florida has three of the, the ten fastest-growing cities in the entire country, and our population, and Houston, I believe, is growing faster, faster than any state in the union. Right, and, and Houston, for, for think about this, the, the, what I call the greater Houston area, because now basically cities this size are what you call metroplexes. If you include everybody in the greater Houston area, Houston the, alone, this area here is six million people. In the greater Houston area. Wow. Well, we only got and two and a half have, million people here in Orange, Orange County. Well, but it's growing you, daily. If, right. And, and see, the thing is, you have Harris County and the surrounding counties, which includes where I stay, Katy, off I 10, all, all the surrounding areas, 6.3 million people. And again, they've made the adjustments for the contra flow and all that. But the reality is, the necessary infrastructure. Nobody wants to spend it. And you know the funny thing about that is I always tell Republicans, I'll, you know, because now, of course, it, it's, it, that's always the, 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 the thing they don't want to touch, you know, especially when it comes to taxes and everything like that. And I always tell them all the time, you guys are the ones that did all this. It was Dwight D. Eisenhower. The largest public works project ever in the history of the United States of America was done under a Republican president, Dwight D. Right. Eisenhower. Most of the current infrastructure in place today was done by under the Eisenhower administration. We're talking right. sewer, we're talking water, we're talking electrical, we're talking telecom. Which which all needs an upgrade. It all needs an upgrade. Right. And none right. of us want to pay for it. 
the association. No, I shouldn't say none of us. I shouldn't say none of us. Many there are a lot of us that do that don't mind, but there's some on one side of the aisle that don't want to pay for it. The American Society of Civil Engineers, the ASCE, the ASCE, put a report card out in 2013, and they gave they and they have it online. People can look it up. They gave the country a D plus in infrastructure. They said to get everything up to grade, air, even including air traffic control, waterways, bridges, sewer, drainage, it would take $3.6 trillion to do it. The funny thing I always have, again, with conservatives is they say that's too much money. I said, well, why wasn't $4 trillion and two BS wars? Why wasn't that too much money? $4 trillion for two BS wars that only benefit defense contractors and anybody who worked for them. I said, but yet we're talking about putting anywhere between 19 million, I mean, between 9 and up to 15 million Americans back to work, and you don't want to do it. Why? Because, again, in their mantra, the only way to really grow jobs is through the private sector. And what they don't understand is that if you put that many public sector people back to work, again, we have a consumer-driven economy. With that many people with money back to work, private sector jobs are going to grow because now people have the disposable income to consume more, and everybody who provides a good or service is going to have to hire more to, in order to keep up with that demand. I'm not an economic Absolutely. major, but it doesn't take anybody to be one to understand that. Well, a lot of people that talk about the economy, know, 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 they only know talking points. What I've found is that even on both sides, but the, the Republican talk points drive me crazy because they think you can cut your way to prosperity. Somehow, if I cut taxes, if I cut taxes, all of that money saved by the, the big corporations, which, which you and I both know, they're not going to reinvest it. The people that are investing are, small, are the small businesses. They're the ones creating most of the jobs. And they're not the ones that are benefiting them enough by the tax cuts to create more jobs. Sure. All you got to do is look at Kansas. Right. Kansas oh my is a God. prime example. We're, we're, I'm going to talk about that in the second half. I'm, I don't want to tip too much. I'm going to talk about that in the second half uh, of the show, but it doesn't work. It just it just simply does not work. But listen, trickle I, down I always enjoy, never work. It never works. It never works. But listen, I, I always enjoy you calling in, but I, I got to move on because I got a long break. Cause my long break halftime coming up, uh, and I got a lot to talk about in the second half. But listen, thanks for calling in, man. And, and I, have to, I actually have to talk to you, so in, uh, I'm going to inbox you my number because I need to talk to you about something. Okay, no problem. All right, man. Thanks for calling, man. All right, take care. Yep. Uh, uh, that's my good friend Gustavo. He lives in he lives in Texas, and he just he man, he, a smart smart brother, a really smart brother. And he and 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 the thing that I love about him is he is an encyclopedia of information when it comes to Texas politics, and he's very well plugged in. And one of the reasons I love to have him on my I love that he's a regular caller and listens to the show is that he, a lot of conservatives look to Texas as their example of how things work, but the lie is that a lot of the things that work in Texas aren't conservative ideals. They're not conservative at all. They're, the, the things that work in Texas tend to be liberal, liberal ideas. And I, I just like that he debunks a lot, that, and he tells the, tr- the, the truth about a lot that's going on in Texas from the ground because most people, you know, most conservatives, most Republicans, and I don't want to beat up on conservatives, but most Republicans that, you know, that look to Texas don't live in Texas. They don't know what's really going on in Texas. And so they just talk using the talking points that they're given by their party. And it, and it's it's kind of frustrating. It really is kind of frustrating. Uh, but I, I like that he calls in. But in the second half, because because the first half, 
we got to go to break. The sec- I'm up on halftime here on Penny's Politics. We got to go to break. But in the second half, there's a. I'm going to talk about the police officer that was fired for using the racial slur. I got a lot to say about this, uh, and I want you guys to weigh in if you're if you're if on Twitter about the police officer. I have to, to tell the story, of course. We're going to weigh in on this in the live log. Let's have a conversation. Um, we're also going to talk hit a little bit of, uh, uh, hit a little bit on the responses to the question of the week last week. And I'm going to pose you guys with the question of the week. For this week, the question week last week was the legal prostitution thing. But in any event, 347-934-0185 is the number to call in. On Facebook, join the group Penny's Politics to join in the live blog. Email me, Penny at IUNewsTalk.com, or tweet me at Penny Sakura. The second half of Penny's Politics and I return. business owners, it's the very thing that always seems to be in short supply. Tons to do, never enough time to get it all done. The good news is that our friends over at FreshBooks fill your pain and have created something to help you reclaim some of your precious time. FreshBooks is the simple invoicing solution that lets you create and send slick professional looking invoices in seconds. Oh, and invoicing is just the beginning. FreshBooks will also make managing your expenses Staying on top of who owes you what and tracking your time the easiest part of your day. If your business keeps you constantly on the move, not to worry. The FreshBooks mobile app can keep up. You can use the camera on your phone to capture your receipts while you watch FreshBooks magically create your expense reports for you. If you do have questions, contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real-life humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, no I will get back to you, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. So, to try FreshBooks free for 30 days, just go to www.gofreshbooks.com forward slash IU Radio Network. Again, www.gofreshbooks.com forward slash IU Radio Network and enter Independent Underground News and Talk into the How Did You Hear About Us section. So I've had the opportunity to move to this beautiful and amazing state called Florida. I've also had the opportunity of moving to this amazing network called IU News and Talk. Hi, I'm Penny Sikora, host of Penny's Politics. Tune in Tuesdays from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as I give you my unique, no-spin style of politics. The truth is what you're going to get here. Sometimes that truth is beneficial. Sometimes you hear the truth and you're like, you know what? I can dig that. I like that. It lets me know I'm on the right side of the argument. But there are other times when the truth is going to make you upset, you're going to be upset with Penny. But you know what? I'm still going to tell you the truth. So tune in Tuesdays from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to Penny's Politics here on IU News and Talk.
Show your support for the Independent Underground Radio Network, which has been podcasting strong since 2010 with over 4.5 million downloads and over 700 episodes with our affiliate network of shows, including Constitutionally Speaking with host Adam Smith, Third Wave Feminism with host Jenny and Diane, Penny's Politics with host Penny Sequoia, and our flagship show, Independent Underground Radio Live with host Monica R.W. So how can you show that support? By going to get the Independent Underground Radio Network app for just $2.99 at Google Play or the Apple Store. Just go and put in the search for Independent Underground Radio Network go on Google Play or at the Apple Store and download a version of our app in order to have all of our affiliate network of shows right on your phone, your tablet, computer, or whenever you want to listen to them by streaming live of the Independent Underground Radio Network. Remember, just go to Google Play or the Apple Store. Search for Independent Underground Radio Network and download a version of our app on your phone for just $2.99 today and show your support for the best in independent life political anywhere in the world at the Independent Underground Radio Network. Your instincts walk around confident that your shit stinks, leave you mocking them. And you can't be bargained with shit so butter, but they're selling you margarine. Don't buy it, keep trying, save your strength for what you've been eyeing. Both eyes open, patches ain't pirate, Caribbean dreams are unseen, but I digress into the present tense. We all hesitant, ain't one of us heaven sent. Emotions build up, so you better vent. Stick out like sore thumbs in that leather vest, but even in that thing, you are not an animal. Even in Hamden on the avenue, fanny pack looking like a kangaroo, whatever you need to keep up that mandible. 347-934-0185 is the number to call in. You can tweet me at Penny Sikora, T-E-N-N-Y-S-I-K-O-R-A. Email me, Penny, at IUNewsTalk.com, or join in the live blog on Facebook right now and, and join in the conversation. Uh, in fact, uh, I want to get some commentary from a live blog that someone brought up a very good point. Uh, until I get like individual like blanket permissions to use folks' names, I'm not going to use folks' names. But someone, someone on, in, the, in the blog said, here's what we should be looking at. Welfare and prison costs versus upgrading education costs and economic biz- benefits of more productive people. He makes an amazingly great point. Uh, for what we spend on – in most state budgets, and, and I know in Wisconsin and Florida specifically, we spend more on incarceration than we do on education. I'm going to repeat that. We spend more on incarceration than we do on education, and, we, and, we, and, and prisons have consistently showed us Studies have consistently showed us that number one of the major reasons most people in prison are uneducated. They're uneducated. If you give them education and a skill, they usually don't return to prison. So I don't get it. I don't get it how we don't we don't get it. I don't understand why we don't get it that if we well maybe if we hmm if 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 okay let let me slow this one down and let's just let's slow this down. Let's slow this down. Uh, Jimmy. What we need, what would you, what we need, Jimmy? We, we, we. Okay, we have a problem, Jimmy. We're we're spending a lot of money incarcerating people, okay, and 
But the reason that they're incarcerated is because we're not spending enough money on education. And most of the people that we are incarcerating are, are, are not educated. And we're learning that if we educate them while they're incarcerated or give them a skill while they're incarcerated, they don't return to incarceration. What do you think we should do, uh, uh, Jimmy? Well, 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 Peter, I think, I think uh, uh, we should uh, pay, pay for schools. I think, I think pay for schools. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks. You're welcome, Penny. It's a no-brainer. It is a no – but we don't because, you know, it because the Republicans – well, that costs money. And as uh, Gustavo said, so do wars, and we have no problem spending money on wars. We will spend trillions of dollars on wars. And there are many studies that say if, if, if people are working and able to support their families, so even if they're not educated, if they're working and able to support their families, they're not committing crimes. We saw this in the, the, the great American city, Detroit. All these great paying jobs in the auto industry. It was one of the it was at the time the third, I think the third largest city in America. And one of the safest. And it was the wealthiest per capita. Why? Because he had all of these great jobs. What do I need to steal from you for? I got my own over here. Turf war. There's a, listen, education and good jobs lead to a safer society. And we're spending less to clean up all these messes. Now, certainly, I, I agree. I ascribe to the conservative mantra of, you know, family values. I believe that, you know, I, I'm a Christian, no secret. And I believe that, you know, married families make for – married family make for a better society. That's what I believe. We can, you can debate me on that. I get that the divorce rate is high. I understand all those statistics. But we're talking about when married couples are being married for real and they're doing things the way they're supposed to do things. Raising their families. They tend to be to have higher incomes. Better outcomes. Better communities. Because I believe the most basic building blocks of the globe are families. Cells are the most are the basic building blocks in humans. Families are the basic building blocks in, in cities. In countries, families starts with the family unit. But I don't want to get too far off the subject. Uh, I've already bunny trailed enough. Uh, I want to get into the story, uh, and uh, it, it was we talked a lot about this in the group. If you have not, if you have not jumped into the group to to join these conversations, there's some good conversations, really good conversations, and. Even though, even this uh, news this news site's online. Obviously, anytime you have race, you you can say race if it's not like an auto. If it has nothing to do with Daytona, when you say race, people go nuts and they want to, everyone has something to say. But I was a bit torn over this, and I, I'm going to read the story, and then we're we're going to talk about it. So, Okoy police officer fired over a racial slur. Chief said fired over a racial slur. Chief says, and just so you know, Okoy is a, is a small city. Just west of Orlando, it's literally just west of here. It's it's literally I can I can run to Okoy from where I live. It's literally right there. Um, so it's right here in Central Florida. So a police officer was fired Thursday. This was posted 
This story is from October uh, 20th. Uh, the police officer was fired Thursday after an investigation in, into a report that he used a racial slur, the Okoy Police Department says. Lieutenant William Wagner was, be- was relieved of duty on September 26th after he reported himself for a statement he made to another officer, an internal investigation report said. According to the report, Wagner was talking to the officer about damage done to his home during Hurricane Irma. While showing the officer a photo of the damage, he called his residence a blank house. It, it says slur in the thing. I would assume it said nigga house. That's what I'm going to assume because that's the only racial slur that is the nuclear of racial slurs that can cause somebody to get fired. I could say the word cracker, not going to get fired. Say Byron White and said nigga, I'm going to get fired. Unless you're Bill Maher. But we're going to talk about that. Lieutenant Wagner immediately apologized to the officer, telling him that his comment was unacceptable, the report said. Lieutenant Wagner also advised the officer that he was going to report himself and apologize the second time. Lieutenant Wagner then immediately reported his utterance to Chief Charles Brown. According to the report, Wagner tried to clarify the interviewer what he meant when he said the slur. Uh, he, He was basically explaining what he meant. I'm extremely sorry for what I said. I didn't mean it. It's not a, it's not a, I didn't say it in a racial term. I said it in a socioeconomic term. He is quoted as saying in the report. Wagner did not have any past complaints of a racial discriminatory nature, investigators said. In an interview, Wagner told investigators that he had been under a lot of stress over the damage done to his home when he said the slur. I was speaking about myself and the condition in my home in a time where I really just don't have anything else in me to give, he quoted as saying in the report. The interviewer noted that Wagner's comments did not appear to be an argument used to lessen the, the seriousness of the slur. In other words, his comment, he's, not, he's not trying to say, you know, I, I'm defending himself for using the slur. He's not, he's not even trying to defend himself. Lieutenant Wagner did not appear to be making an excuse for his comment, but rather an explanation of his stress that has built up to the point he made the remark the report said. And the Chief, Chief Brown, Chief Charles Brown, released the following statement on Wagner's termination. <clears throat> the Okoye Police Department holds all members of the department to the highest standards of the law enforcement profession, and Lieutenant Wagner's behavior has fallen short. I am deeply troubled by his use of a racial slur, which is not only offensive and unacceptable, not only offensive and unacceptable. His actions undermine the tremendous work our police officers do every day to build a true partnership with our Okoye community based on trust and respect. We will always be committed to transparency and accountability. So I was torn on this. I was torn on this. If you're listening, you want to chime in on this, 347-934-0185, the, the phone line is open. Uh, and if you don't, if you don't want to go on the air and you, or you want to, you can tweet me at Penny Sakura. If you want to remain anonymous, you can email me, Penny, at IUNewsTalk.com. Or if you just want to join a live blog on Facebook, we're, we're talking about this right now. My issue with, with – I have a few issues with this. And before I, I chime in, I want to be clear about something. I am – I is an African-American. I is. I is, I am black. I'm black as they come. I'm black, African-American. And for those of you that are going to say, well, maybe you're not black enough. I married a black woman. Black, she's black. She actually has Ethiopian roots. We figured that out. 
my kids, black, little black girls, grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, went to black schools, predominantly black schools. I'm black. My grandma, well, grandma, semi, seminal, but black. I'm black people. Uh, so I'm torn on this. And the reason that I'm torn on this is because police officers are held to a high standard. But the number one thing we trust police officers, or the number one reason we trust them is because they're, they're sworn. They're sworn to uphold the law, but we, tr- we give them a lot of trust. And so their integrity means a lot. If you have an officer that, that's dishonest, you have a problem on your hands, huge problem. Because if it's you and the police officer, it's that police officer's word. That's why they take the oath. That oath means a lot. That's why many in, – in, in police departments, you'll, be, you'll, you'll get the job – a thief will get a job before a liar. They're not, most probably not going to hire someone who's been dishonest because that means a lot. And this officer and, – and context means a lot as well. Context means an awful lot. And so that's why I was torn on this. He didn't refer to a person as an N-word. As he didn't say, look at that nigga over there. He didn't say that. And yes, I don't normally say this word. I'm kind of giddy with using the term. So pardon me. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that nigga over there. He didn't say that. He didn't he talked about his house. There's a saying in and, and I, have a, I have a caller. I'll take you just a second, Carl. Just a second. There's a saying in the black community. We say it all the time. Nigger rigged. That's for those of you that are, that aren't familiar with the term nigger rigged. It is if 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 you call a plumber over your cousin who is, is plumber ish to your house to to fix your pipe and he duct tapes it. He duct tapes it the pipe back together instead of doing it the proper way. We call that nigger rigged. It is not uncommon to describe things using the n-word am i excusing his excuse no i'm not i'm not excusing his use of the word but i'm going to take this call and i'll continue with my opinion on this particular uh incident from the 414 you're on the air with penny sakura pink politics go ahead mr sakura this is marlon what's going on brother what's going on man I ain't nothing to it, man. Just enjoy, sitting back enjoying the show uh, for the first, well, actually all the way through for the first time. I kept kept dropping for some reason on my end of the line. I had to kept, keep uh, linking back up with it. So, um, Okay, just so you know, yeah, we do have an app. We do have an app, just so you know. I, I throw okay, it out there. Well, it's, only $3, I mean, it's only $3 if you love to support us. I'd love your support. Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I I'm gonna definitely upload that app man, and get that uh, get that crate back up because um, I enjoy this type of conversation, you know. Um, I appreciate with, you listening. With this, with this, oh well, thank you. I appreciate it. it. With this particular topic, man, I guess you know. I guess I got we got others other things in this in this world in this country in my neighborhood. Hell, on my block that I have 
so much more outrage for than this dude getting fired for. You know what I'm saying? Y'all mm-hmm. suppose in my in my opinion, this is minute compared to what's going on um nationwide in some of these police departments. If mm-hmm. this is if this, I, you know, if this is this guy's biggest infraction, slap this dude on the wrist and send him back out here to work because we got cops out here working that's killing people, that's beating people, that's black planting drugs on people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's having real life consequences and, and ramifications in dealing with the public. This isn't this isn't one of those situations. I you agree. Know what I mean? You know what I mean? So so I guess I say that to say don't give me the uh I guess the token white boy to fire. You know what I'm saying? Bingo. Give me the white dude give me the give me the white dude to fire to to where it's like, okay, they, they removed they, they fired this guy. What's to say he doesn't go over, you know, two or three counties over and just get another job. And now that y'all fire him all over time. this, now he, not, now he has a real resentment for some reason towards towards the N word, you know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. so so it starts to manifest itself in dealing with real people. I think I, agree. I think uh uh like I said, you, you you slap him on the wrist, you give him uh three days at home to think about what he said and he'll be in and, and this is the type of dude who you won't you won't hear that you don't you won't hear that type of stuff come out of his mouth again. You know what I mean? Agreed. You won't hear you know, he'll he'll he he knows how to bridle his tongue and he knows how to um how to bridle his his emotions when it comes to that. This is a major you know, major catastrophe this dude just lost his lost his everything. Right. You know what I'm saying? So so you got to so you have to allow some people you know what I'm saying, that room to of that that moment of levity to where their their minds just they they just ain't on the, in the, on they ain't in the right state of mind, right? You know, so you know just the way I feel about it. That's just my two cents. No, I, I appreciate your phone call, man, and uh, and, and right, thanks thank for listening. You. Thanks for participating, man. Absolutely. All right, man. So a great call. I could not agree with him more, and that's pretty much my stance. We have much bigger issues. There was a police officer in Ohio, in Ohio, right, that shows up seconds after a kid was reported to have a gun in the park. Seconds later, he shot the kid dead, a kid, seconds. And this police officer had prior issues, not necessarily racial, but he had a prior department said this guy is not even fit for duty, and he ended up getting another job in another community. And not months after getting the job, he kills a young unarmed black kid. That had broke not a single law. And we fired this lieutenant for saying the N-word, just simply saying the N-word. And I have a problem with that because I feel like it's an overreaction. You want to know why some of our, our white brethren have an issue with racial topics because sometimes we overreact. Simply saying the N-word does not make you a racist. I'm going to say that on my show. I'm going to stand by it. Simply saying nigga does not make you a racist. I don't care if you're white. You say simply saying nigga if you're white it does not make you a racist person. 
It does not. Your actions speak much louder than your words ever will. Much louder. And I get it. The Bible says the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But context matter. When Bill Maher was talking to, uh, I believe it was a, 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 a representative from Kansas, and he said, and, and, he, and Bill Maher said, I got to get out to Kansas more. He said, and the guy said, we'd love to see you in the field, you know, come out in the field. And uh, Bill Maher says, we have a field. I don't work the field. I'm a house nigga. Bill Maher, there was some, there was pushback. There was pushback, but I'm grateful that the the, the sound-minded folks said, wait a minute. You want Bill Maher fired? This guy has done more work for our causes than anybody. And in the context in which Bill Maher used the word, it was not, it was not offensive to black people. Should he have said it? Probably not. I really don't get why anyone wants to use the, the, wants to say it. Given the grievances that it does cause black folks, I don't know why whites want to use the word. I don't know why. But context matters. And yes, I will take the side of whites when they say, dude, it's all in your music. We buy your music, but we can't say half the lyrics. Because context matters. Even in our own arguments about nigger and nigger, we say that there's a difference. A black person, will, my brethren will tell me, my brother, own brother will tell me, well, you know, Penny, nigger is a pejorative. Nigger is you, my brother. It's positive. And I'm going to tell you right now, it can mean a whole bunch of things. It can be positive, negative, because let's be honest, we've all, there's a song on, there's a song in which the guy say, he says, he says, niggas die, niggas die, niggas, what do you say, niggas live, niggas die, niggas die, niggas die, and he says, niggas die, die, niggas, so that black people can take over. In that context, it's used negatively. If, 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 if it's my, you know, nigga, you my nigga, then it's not, it's not, it's positive. But in most instances, the N word is negative. But my point is, context matters. Just like the B word with females. I'm not going to say the B word. Females call, that's my B. That's my main B. I'm his B. You ugly B. It becomes negative. Context matters. But as the previous caller said, in, in the big scheme of things, don't give me the token firing of this police officer. I don't want him to be the sacrificial lamb. An officer that, from, from, from what investigators say, has been a pretty good officer. There's been no, he's moved up to the rank of lieutenant. And there has been no, nothing in his background, anything racial in his background. Nothing. No complaints, nothing. And we fired him for this? We fired him. We took away his livelihood. It, it's, it was an overreaction, in my opinion. Three four seven nine three four zero one eight five. Tweet me at Penny Sakura. And my question of the week is going to be this: Should that officer have been fired? That's Penny's politics question of the week. Email me. If you want to remain anonymous with your responses? I'm going to talk about the responses on next week's show. 
Email me, Penny, at IUNewsTalk.com. I'll keep you confidential. If you want to comment on the live blog on, in Penny's Politics in Facebook, comment. If you want to tweet me, tweet me on Twitter, uh, you know, at Penny Secor, or use the hashtag Penny's Politics, Q-O-T-W, question of the week. But I don't think this guy should have been fired. I think it was an over a classic knee-jerk overreaction. We have to take things in context and look at things case by case and stop overreacting. Simply saying the N-word should not be cause for all the outrage, all the uproar. Racial discrimination, yes. The hiring practices by departments we should be looking at. Sentencing disparities we should be looking at. Nepotism in departments we should be looking at because that leads to discriminatory hiring practices. When you hire Workachewski and Wojciechowicz, but you won't hire Jenkins and Johnson because their families didn't work there. When you have cities that are majority minority, but the police forces are not, they're lily white. Those are real issues that we need to address because it goes to policing issues. Driving while black is a, is a thing. Ask the Harvard professor. We need to work on those things. Those are real issues. This guy saying, I got to look at my house. Nigga house now. Eh. I'm going to fire him for that. But we're in an era of overreacting, and that's why race is still a, a major problem, and people don't want to talk about it. But 347-934-0185 is the number to the show. Penny at IUNewsTalk.com is my email. Tweet me at Penny Sakura. The fourth quarter of Penny's Politics when I return. A bumping comfort to the spine. In and out. and independent underground radio network advanced auto parts is offering 20% off of your first order now to save 20% off your first order go to www.advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU radio network again www.advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU radio network to save 20% off of your first order and make sure that you put in AAT20 cash for the savings. Now, did you know that Advanced Auto Parts have been in business over 75 years and has helped the nation's do-it-yourselfers fix their vehicles? Advanced Auto Parts is also your source for quality auto parts, advice, and accessories. So go ahead and get your 20% off today of your first order at advancedautooffer.com forward slash IU Radio Network. And make sure you put in the code AAT20CAST for your 20% savings.
show your support for the Independent Underground Radio Network, which has been podcasting strong since 2010 with over 4.5 million downloads and over 700 episodes with our affiliate network of shows, including Constitutionally Speaking with host Adam Smith, Third Wave Feminism with host Jenny and Diane, Penny's Politics with host Penny Sequoia, and our flagship show, Independent Underground Radio Live with host Monica R.W. So how can you show that support? By going to get the Independent Underground Radio Network app for just $2.99 at Google Play or the Apple Store. Just go and put in the search for Independent Underground Radio Network on Google Play or at the Apple Store and download a version of our app in order to have all of our affiliate network of shows right on your phone, your tablet, computer, or whenever you want to listen to them by streaming live of the Independent Underground Radio Network. Remember, just go to Google Play or the Apple Store, search for Independent Underground Radio Network, and download a version of our app on your phone for just $2.99 today and show your support for the best in independent life political anywhere in the world at the Independent Underground Radio Network. Nine three four zero one eight five is the number to call into the show. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Penny's Politics. That's where my group is, y'all, on Facebook. There's a group called Penny's Politics in which we talk politics all the time. And there's a live blog. We're talking about this show right now. You can tweet me at Penny Sakura on the Twitter or email me, Penny at IUNewsTalk.com. Uh, and I want to go to one of the comments. Uh, always in good discussion. There's a lot of smart people uh, in my group, some smarter than me. Uh, so I'm not as smart as I am. Uh, they definitely don't look as good as I do. But uh, there, so a, a commenter commented, uh, uh, based, this is a comment, based on their past history, and, and they're talking about uh, Okoye, the threshold for anything that could be considered racist, racist uh, will not be tolerated. Uh, zero tolerance. Uh, that was that was there, and and the, the this particular individual, and I don't I don't not, I don't I'm not gonna share names because I don't know if people want to be announced or not, anonymous or not. Um, if you want to see who the person is, suppose you can join the group and see who there is for yourself. But in any event, they made that comment because Okoye has a very racist past. Uh, in fact, I'm gonna read. The, I'm gonna, there's a story. Uh, it's called the Okoye massacre. Um. And I didn't. I wasn't even unaware of this. And I'm a history nerd. I'm a big history nerd. But I, even I was unaware that this had uh, happened. The Weekly Challenger posted an article, posted this article um, in November of 2015. And it, I'm just going to read it. It's called the Okoye Massacre. The Okoye Massacre considered the quote-unquote single bloodiest day in modern America political American political history was a violent race riot that broke out on November 2nd, 1920. African-American-owned buildings and residences in northern Okoye, a city in Orange County, Florida, were burned to the ground. As I mentioned earlier in the show, Okoye is – I can literally walk to Okoye from my house. It's just west of me here. Uh, the African-Americans residing in Okoye who were not direct victims 
of the race riot were later driven out by threats of force. A total of 330 acres plus 48 city-owned lots, city, I'm sorry, city lots, were lost. I'm sorry, let me start over that sentence. A total of 330 acres plus 48 city lots owned by 18 black families living in Ocoee, Florida, were lost. In 2001, the land lost by the 18 Ocoee families, not including buildings now, now on it, is assessed by tax officials at more than $4.2 million, according to the AP report. Okoye would then become an all-white town and remain such until 61 years later in 1981. So Okoye was all-white until after I was born. Okoye was founded in 1850s as a camp for laborers working on farms around southern shores of, of Lake Apopka. By 1920, there were just over 1,000 residents. Most, almost half of them were African-Americans. Two distinct black communities developed in Okoye. The southern black community, known locally as the Baptist Quarters, which sprung up around the Friendship Baptist Church, founded in 1896. The northern black community, commonly known as the Methodist Quarters. Its namesake, Okoye African-American, I'm sorry, its namesake, Okoye African Methodist Episcopal Church, held its first services in 1890. Uh, no surprise there that the black communities popped up around the black church, hence to the current black churches. We'll talk about it in the later show. Julie Perry was a well-respected godfather of the northern black community who served as a deacon in the church and a local labor leader. It was said that anyone seeking to employ black laborers needed to speak with him first. Perry, who encouraged young blacks to be educated and stand up for themselves as, as first-class citizens, was an admired civil rights leader. Mose Norman was a well-known and prosperous man. Norma and wife Elisa, 100-acre uh, family Orange Grove. It was said that he, once, he was once offered $10,000 for his groves, a huge sum for, uh, for the time, but he refused to take it. Orange County, as well as the rest of Florida, was originally politically dominated by Southern white Democrats. I know some of my Republicans listening to this just love that part. However, in the weeks leading up to the presidential election of 1920, African Americans throughout the South were registering to vote in record numbers. Judge John Moses Cheney, a Republican running for the Florida Senate, started a voter registration campaign to register African Americans to vote in Florida. Julie Perry and Mose Norman led the, uh, the local voter registration efforts in Orange County in paying the poll tax for those who could not afford it. So what they did was they not only organized the voter registration drive, they also were putting the bill for the poll tax to overcome that ridiculous legal hurdle so that folks could vote. However, the mass registration coincided with the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. That's a American terrorist group uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with white American terrorist group that is still legal in the United States today. Uh, I think the only such terrorist group that is legal uh, in the United States today. And uh, the mass registration included with the resurgence of the KKK in the early 20th century, providing a tense racial and political climate. Before the election, the Klan sent out threatening letters to Cheney and other Republican leaders ordering them to stop the voter registration campaign or face the consequences. The KKK held rallies in the streets in cities like Orlando, Daytona, Miami, and Jacksonville in attempts to intimidate any blacks. On November 1st, the day before the election, with robes and crosses, the plan paraded through the streets of the two black communities in Okoye late into the night. With megaphones, they warned not a single 
African American will be permitted to vote. And if any of them dared to do so, there would be dire consequences. On election day, African Americans were met with resistance from the white community when they attempted to vote. Black voters were turned away either by threats of violence or by poll workers who found their names, quote, mysteriously absent from the voter registration rolls. Most most Norman would not be deterred. After being prevented from voting, Norman rode to Orlando to seek counsel of Judge Cheney, who told him that interference with voting is illegal and instructed him to take down the names of all African Americans who were denied their constitutional rights, as well as the names of the whites who were violating them. Norman returned to Okoye with these instructions, along with a handful of black citizens seeking to vote. After again being forcibly turned away, he demanded that poll workers' names be demanded the poll workers' names and exclaimed, "We will vote by God!" At the time, Norman had a loaded shotgun, either in his person or in his car, and an altercation ensued. Overpowered and beaten by the butt of his own gun, he was driven away by whites. The white community had begun to perform a mob and paraded up and down the streets, growing more disorderly and unmanageable. The rest of the African-Americans gave up on trying to vote and left the polling place. Later during the evening, Sam Salisbury, a white leader of the town who was a native New Yorker as well. And and by the way, there are a lot of New Yorkers here in in Florida. Uh, Let me remember what remember I said that as a as well as former chief of police of Orlando. Starting this sentence over later that evening. Sam Salisbury, a white leader of the town who was a native New Yorker as well as a former chief of police of Orlando, is called upon to lead the lynch mob to find and punish Mose Norman. The white mob was marching to the home of Mose Norman when someone informed them that Norman had, was seen visiting the home of Julie Perry. The mob, which numbered about 100 men, arrived at Perry's house demanding that Perry and Norman surrender themselves. They received no answer and attempted to break down the front door. Perry, who had been warned about the mob in advance, fired, fired gunshots from inside the home in self-defense. The Perry fam- family so valiantly defended their home that some were convinced there was a large group inside. The whites estimated that there were several armed African Americans, while Zora Neale Hurston, an amazing uh, writer, by the way, uh, writes that Perry, and a native Floridian, writes that Perry defended his home alone. Sam Salisbury got got shot in the arm, becoming the first white casualty. Two of Salisbury's men were killed when they tried to storm the house by kicking in the back door. Their bodies were found in the backyard hours later. Defeated, the mob retreated temporarily to get reinforcements and additional manpower uh, from clan members in the surrounding cities. The Perry family used the two or three hour respite to escape the house. Perry had been seriously wounded during the incident and fled with the help of his wife into a nearby sugarcane patch. His daughter, Coretha, remained in the house to tend her injuries to tend her injuries alone, while the two young sons hid in the barn. Around 50, full car, 50 cars full of clan members flooded into Okoe from the towns such as Winter Garden, Orlando, and Sanford. Y'all remember Sanford? That's where Trayvon Martin met his demise at the hands of a foolish idiot that's still wandering the streets of Florida, I guess, and they better, I better not run into him. Finding only 22-year-old Coretha in the house, a, a manhunt ensued, and Perry was later found by the white mob at dawn and arrested. After being taken to Orlando General Hospital on Call Avenue for treatment for the gunshot wound to his arm, Perry was released into sheriff custody and taken to jail in Orlando that night, probably near the old courthouse on Central and Magnolia. That's downtown Orlando. A lynch mob descended 
upon the jail to which Sheriff Frank Gordon handed over the keys to Perry's cell. They wasted no time in seizing and beating Perry. They dragged him through the streets behind a car before arriving at the entrance of the Orlando County Club near Lake Concord where Judge Cheney's home stood. The mob, the mob strung up the by now near dead Perry to a telephone pole along the highway. His hanging body was riddled with bullets. This gruesome scene was left there as a warning both to both Cheney and the African Americans with a chilling note saying, this is what we do to niggers who try to vote. Sometime later, Perry was cut down by black undertaker Edward Stone against the witches of the KKK who threatened Stone afterwards and brought and brought to the Greenwood, Greenwood Cemetery south of Orlando where his body was buried in the black section of the graveyard. He remained in an unmarked grave until November 2002 when a movement led to locating his gravesite and adding a headstone to memorialize him. A photographer took photos of Perry and sold them for 25 cents each. Several stores placed the photo on exhibition by, by their windows. The men who killed Perry were not arrested. Perry's wife and their daughter survived the massacre, and the authorities sent them to Tampa for treatment and to, quote, avoid further disturbance. After the white mob lynched Perry, their vengeful lust spread to the rest of the African-American Okoye community. The mob surrounded uh, the northern Okoye black community and laid siege to it. Fire was set to whole rows of African-American houses, and those who were inside were forced to either flee and get shot by the white mob, or I'm sorry, those who were inside were forced to flee and get shot by the white mob. At least 20 buildings were burned in total, including every African-American church, schoolhouse, and lodge room in the vicinity. African-American residents fought back in an evening-long gunfight until as late as 4.45 a.m. Their firearms later found in the ruins later, and the massacre ended. Eventually, the residents were driven into nearby orange groves and swamps, forced to retreat until they were completely driven out of town. The siege of Okoye claimed numerous African-American victims. Langmade, an African-American carpenter, was beaten and castrated. One mother named Maggie Ganlack died with her pregnant daughter while hiding in her home. Their bodies found partially burned under their home. Roosevelt Barton, an African-American hiding in Julie Perry's barn, was shot after the mob set fire to the barn and forced him to flee. Hattie Smith was visiting her pregnant sister-in-law in Okoy when her sister-in-law's home was set on fire. Smith fled, but her sister-in-law's family was killed while they, while they hid and waited for help that would never come. And Af the African-American residents of Southern Okoy Baptist Quarters, while not direct harm, were, I'm sorry, while not direct victims of the massacre, were later, were later threatened away. J.H. Hameter, an African-American woman residing in southern Okoye, suspected that the massacre was planned so that whites could seize up prosperous African-American homes for nothing. According to Hameter, people to the south were coerced with the threat of being shot and burned if they did not sell out and leave. About 500 African-Americans in total were driven out of Okoye, making Okoye a practically all-white town. White citizens would later have to harvest the citrus crop in Okoye themselves due to African-American labor. Poor things. Walter White, the African-American civil rights activist who led the NAACP, arrived in Orange County a few days after the event. White used his light complexion, he had blonde hair and blue eyes, to work undercover as a white northerner interested in buying, in buying Orange Grove property in Orange County. He found that the whites were still giddy with victory. While talking to a local real estate agent and taxicab driver, White learned that about 56 African-Americans were killed in the massacre. The exact number could never be determined because some of the victims had been burned to death. 
He also learned that the massacre may have been precipitated by the white community's jealousy of the prosperous African-American landowners, including most Norman, Norman and Julie Perry. By the way, that's what led up to the riot in uh, Detroit. Uh, most Norman escaped the massacre. He never returned to Florida. After visiting his friends in Apopka and, and Stucky on November 3rd and 4th, 1920, he left the town for New York City, presumably with his wife, where he lived out the rest of his life until his death in 1949. Nearly a week after the incident, KKK troops set up embargo around the town. No one was permitted to enter or leave without, without their permission. Specifically, they sought to keep the new, the now homeless African Americans from entering Orlando to the east and Winter Garden from the, to the west. The third of Okoye's black population who owned their land were never able to return to their properties. Those who were offered any compensation at all were forced to sell their land for pennies on the dollar. Within weeks of the incident, two African Americans remained in town. And by, 1930, by, by the 1930 census, there were none. In fact, not a single African American dared live in Okoye for 60 years until 1981. And the city did not hire its first black worker until 1986. And for 18 years, following the 1920 massacre, not a single black vote was cast in all of Orange County. Whew. I did not know about this massacre. And I, and I thank the person that shared it with me now you know, for sharing this with me. Because I didn't know about this. And that's her reason for saying this officer, you should look at the history of the city. The city's history, the city's racist past, you know, and ha- and having no zero nonsense, a no a zero tolerance policy when it comes to racism, and that that statement's true. I agree with you on that, but and 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 from the group, someone's asking did Darren Wilson or have anything racial racial on his record? I have to look that up, and I'll get back to you in just a second. Um. Oh, Darren Wilson is the officer is, is the officer from St. Louis, and I, I'm not sure. I, I'd have to check that. But in any event, I, I still stand on what I say about this particular officer. I get that the city has a racist past, and it is crazy to see. In 1981 was the next time that they'd have a black resident. The Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. 1964. Essentially ending the apartheid-type system in America. In Okoye, a city just west of me, didn't have a black resident when I was born. Think about that for a second. It's crazy. And when and there's still sundown towns in America today. I joke with this young lady I know who I know her. I know her as well. She also lives here in Florida. Um, I joke about her all the time about Osceola. There's a huge clan presence in Osceola. It's very racist in Osceola. If you go to Zephyr Hills, Florida, there was an incident back in back in 2003 in which a young a, a white kid decided to make a joke with the noose and threw it around a black kid's neck in a Wendy's. When, when he was arrested for it, and when he went before the judge, he said, that's how we do things in, in Zephyr Hills. Zephyr Hills could be classified as a sundown town. While hanging out at a at a at a at a at a bar in Zephyr Hills, the local sheriff told a friend of mine when I was in college, I went to the University of South Florida. When I was in college, he told the sheriff, the deputy told us, listen, 
it's getting dark. I, I, I would, you know, you guys should get out of here. This is not the, the, the place you guys to be after dark. Zephyr Hills would be considered a sundown town, meaning when the sun goes down, blacks don't need to be around. There are a ton of them around America, and there are a lot in Indiana. And it's 2017. So when we talk about racism, it is a real issue. It is a real issue. We talk about post-racial America. We're not there yet. This blatant racism, even blatant racism still exists in America. Blatant. I was at a gas station when I was relocating to Florida from Wisconsin and Indiana. And a white guy pulls up to me in his pickup truck. I get out of the car. I'm pumping gas. He looks at me. He looked at my car. I said, hey, how you doing? Because I'm friendly as hell. He mean mugged me. Mumbled, mumbled something under his breath. And he did not speak back to me. And he mugged me. And me mugged, for those of you that don't want to know what a me mug is, when you scowl at somebody, you call it me mugging. Because, you know, you mug your face. You know, mug is a colloquialism face. And mean mug, mean face, you know, scowl. Another trip when I was lobbying, I was heading to Indianapolis, and I stopped at a small town in Indiana to get gas, and a group of white, young white men, nigger! So blatant racism still happens in America today, and it happens a lot. And it's a legitimate problem. Is there legislation to pass to deal with those folks? No. If they own businesses or are discriminating, let's deal with it. If they are in positions of authority and they are being discriminatory, let's deal with it. And there are many cities that have have a there. Are, there's probably cities today in which, in which, uh, there there are cities today in which there are, there are little to no blacks. And for Coy not to have black people, there are a ton of black people in Florida, and always have been. There have been a since this. Since this state's filing, there have been a ton of black people, and there are a quadrillion black people in Orange County. And for Okoye to be lily white in 1981 is just mind-boggling. Michael Jackson was the, was the king of pop in 1981, but Okoye didn't have any black people in it. But... And I and I and I tried to. I'm trying to. It's hard because a lot of my listeners love my commentary. Some of my conservative listeners, some of my white listeners, don't like me talking about race so much. And I'm trying to have an honest, honest discussion, without being typical, because the sad reality is some people are typical, and that's all they talk about. And I get it because it's a real issue. We're not post-racial. But I want to make sure that we are using good discernment and dealing with the real issues. Because that white person said the N-word, I don't care. And in the context of which this officer used it, I wouldn't have fired him. I'm be honest. I just wouldn't have fired him. I get it. That, that community has a racist past, but we, I, I can't hold that on him. 
He has no history of this. And But most importantly, this is what's most important. He didn't make any excuses. He took his punishment, and he reported himself. He told on himself because his partner wasn't going to do it. I'm just going to be honest. His partner wasn't. And if it, if it wasn't his partner, if it was his supporter, he definitely wasn't going to do it. They don't tell on each other. For some that small, they're not. No. They don't tell each other for the big stuff. You know dang well they weren't going to tell them for the small stuff. To me, that coupled with the fact that this guy doesn't have a history of this, of this type of behavior, and clearly has a good record because he promoted to the rank of a lieutenant. Overreaction. Whew. There, there's a lot of stories I didn't get to today. Um, if you want, a, if you want to read the Orlando massacre, um, in case I was reading too fast, I'm going to post a link to uh, to it in the in in the Facebook group, um, in in the Facebook group Penny's Politics. Um, you guys can check that out and read that for yourself. I'm going to take a little a little gander in Okoye because I guarantee that what ain't in Okoye, I get you, I bet you there aren't monuments or placards talking about this. For those of you that are that are hellbent on the, the Confederate statue, it's history. There's no placards on this. Well, the Rosewood incident that took place in Florida, which is a similar incident to this one, I bet you if you go to Oklahoma, there aren't statues and monuments to Black Wall Street being burned to hell. We don't celebrate that. That's history. That's why the argument. That's why the argument about the Confederate statues is it's it's a dumb argument. We only celebrate certain histories in, in this country, and that's the problem. We only talk about certain history, and it's usually the white history. We don't talk about blacks in this country historically. We talk about King. Most people couldn't name 10 black, his, big historic, 10 black historical figures from any war, from any era. Most people can't because we don't learn about that stuff. But we were, just, we were very much a part of this country as well. But... If you want to continue the conversation, as always, you can join the group. This conversation will continue, uh, this discussion. I thank you guys for listening, as always. And my prayers and thoughts are still out with my brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. Those are American citizens. I am grateful that some of them are coming to Orlando and making Orlando their home. Please show them hospitality because they're one of us. And in the meantime, let's get their island back to function. Um, you guys, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back here next Tuesday, same bat station, same bat channel. Don't forget to tune into the flagship show tomorrow on this very network, IU Radio Live with host Monica RW. I thank you guys for listening, and uh, hey, show's over. Good night. <laughs>